one is called God at Work. And we chose this sermon series last year, the end of last year. What we do is we get together with our leadership at the church and we do what's called prophetic prayer. We sit there and expect God to speak to us, and he does. And we pretty much put all the major themes for teaching for the upcoming year together at that meeting. And we chose God at Work, God in the Workplace, for this series of five sessions. And we had no idea how much our work life would be disrupted this year. So this comes at a perfect, perfect time. Uh, God's timing is always perfect. He's uh, just always on time in a very special way. Very often we're impatient for what God's doing. But it's so much fun to just let God choose the sermon series topics and then watch how it fits with what's going on. These things don't surprise God. And there's been so much disruption in people's work life. So since there's so much disruption, I think it's a really good idea to think in terms of this being an opportunity, the disruption being an opportunity for regrounding our vocational life on the Word of God, to look at what the Bible says and what God says through the Bible about our work life. And you might say, I'm retired or I don't work for a living. Well, everybody has a vocation. We're going to talk about that today. So our sermon series is going to be called God at Work. And today we're going to talk about work, not just about being a paid job. One of the things I hate is when people ask me, does your wife work? And I'm thinking, yeah, everybody works. Just because you get paid or don't get paid doesn't matter. And we're going to look at, very soon here, so hold on, the Bible's definition of work. And we're going to see that work goes back to the Genesis story. And work and rest are in sort of this, this constant sort of singing back and forth relationship. So work is not just about a job. We're going to talk about that today, not just about a paid job. It does include a paid job, but it's not just about a paid job. Next week, we're going to talk about how our work life doesn't have to be big and bold. In fact, our work, our work, work, our work life can be very effective, even if it's very much under the radar. And a lot of people have affected the world in a big way, in very non-dramatic ways. There's sort of an American myth that unless you go big and bold, you're not successful. Unless you're a celebrity, unless you're in People magazine, unless you somehow are a face people recognize, that somehow you're not really making it. And a lot of people despair over that. I, mean, I wish I'd gotten farther in life. I wish I'd kind of made it. And we're going to talk about how that's a myth and how the Bible takes that myth apart. So don't miss that next week. The third week, we're going to talk about how it's not about you. People talk about all the time on these motivational seminars about finding this, this job that just makes you feel blissful all the time. Uh, truth is, sometimes work is just taking the garbage out. It's just the way it is. And it's not always this massively self-fulfilling thing. Besides, the Bible talks about it not being self-fulfilling, but the road to self-fulfillment is in serving others. And if you really are struggling with life, one of the best ways to get around that is to start serving others. And work is all about serving others. So that's the third week. The fourth week is called creative cobbling. We are putting together lots of different parts of our vocational life, much more so than we used to. In my grandfather's generation, you would work in one place your whole life, get a gold watch and retire for a few years and die. That's kind of how that worked. Uh, and now I, most people I know are working several things. I, I look at Pastor Tamara here, I look at Pastor Kim, I look at different people in the church, I look at you, 
Jessica, and you're working lots of different things. We're, we're cobbling together all of these different things, and we need to do that creatively. So we're going to see what the Bible says about that. And the Bible is full of creative cobblers. So we're going to look at those people and see what they did. The fifth one is just going to be a pep rally to encourage you to get out there and live out your vocation. So that's our sermon series. So we're going to start today with it not being just about a job. So we're going to look at the situation outside. What are some of the big trends in work right now? And work was being disrupted in a big way before the pandemic. This was underway already for a few years. Uh, Communication is changing. Technology is changing. And the nature of work is changing in a really, really big way. This pandemic just sped it up. It was already there. The things we're doing like Zoom meetings and all of that, that was happening beforehand. And all of a sudden, we're being forced into this massive shift in vocational life. First one, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is taking over a lot of jobs. If you are within reach of your cell phone, and most Americans are, most Canadians are, those people listening to us, you've got a cell phone close by. That cell phone has eliminated like 17 different machines. You remember we used to have a tape recorder and a video recorder and a camera? What's a camera? Uh, we used to have, it, it, mine works as a compass now. It tells me what altitude it is. It tells me the temperature. It tells me all of these different things. And technology is replacing what used to be work. And so we're seeing a lot of jobs disappearing because of technology. Newspaper jobs. Uh, it's, there's still newspaper jobs, but it's not like it was. Books, um, all the different things that we used to do. Education is changing in a big way. So many things are changing. So artificial intelligence is affecting the work world. Number two, number two, hybrid work. Work that is both online and in person. Work that uh, we go to the office a few days and we're online a few days. We're seeing lots more of that, an awful lot more of that. And we're seeing that with schools. I've got uh, relatives who are going to school for a couple days a week, and then they're online for two or three days a week. And that mix of in-person and online was already underway before the pandemic. But then when the pandemic took off, it sort of accelerated that whole thing. And I'm sure you're feeling some of these things. Many of you, your jobs have made re- been made redundant by technology. The third one. The gig economy, this didn't exist even five or 10 years ago. The gig economy like Airbnb, Uber, uh, Postmates, those kinds of things where people just work very flexibly and they work in piecework type of things. This is brand new. And right now, America, the United States is approaching 50% of Americans are at least somewhat dabbling in the gig economy. I'm not saying they're making their whole income from it. But that is a huge, tens of millions of people are involved in some sort of way with that. And that goes all the way up to high-end consulting. And people go out and do things for people without being employees, getting a 1099 rather than a W-2. So we've got artificial intelligence. We've got this hybrid online in-person thing going on. We've got the gig economy going on. And number four, we're not sure if higher education is going to be necessary in the future. Everybody used to say, Oh, you have to go to college, otherwise you can't do anything. Well, the truth is this world is being run by college dropouts. Uh, They all live in the Bay Area, and they've run these gigantic companies, and they got (laughs) sick of school, and they started stuff. 
And with the gig, the gig economy growing and all these other things, people are looking more at competency than credentials. And those of us like myself, I work in higher education. It's kind of scary because we're trying to figure out how higher education is going to adjust. Because more and more employers are looking at your abilities rather than your credentialing. Because credentialing just is, is not as important as it was five years ago. So we'll see what happens with that. Number five, global competition. It used to be you were just in competition with uh, a few people around in your county. Now you're in competition with manufacturers in China and Mexico and everywhere else. And really with the whole world. When I was a student pastor in South Dakota, I would show up fresh out of seminary and people would show up in big numbers because I was the only person that knew the things I knew because I read them in lots of books and shared them with people. And now you can listen to, to preachers all over the place. In fact, since the pandemic, the internet has been taken, been taken over by cat videos and preachers. Basically, we just got those two things out there, just lots of cat videos and preachers everywhere. And we're just, you know, ubiquitous out there. Just like that, we were all televangelists. You know, it just, it just happened. But global competition, for goodness sake, uh, there's this, this if, you, if you want to be a personal assistant for somebody, you've got to compete with somebody in India who's willing to do that for $7 an hour online and take care of all your, your, all your stuff and your schedule and everything, your email. So we have to work through this global competition, credentials versus competencies, the gig economy, hybrid work, artificial intelligence. Are you dizzy yet? Uh, institutional fragility. Big institutions that people used to trust, like big denominations and big national corporations, are just sort of crumbling all over the place. And we used to be able to say, well, if I can get a position in this big organization, then I'll be safe for the rest of my life. Well, those organizations, the big institutions, are being replaced by lots of startups. And these startups are very competitive. And they're putting the big institutions out of business. And... A lot of us who thought we had these secure jobs are struggling now. We really are. Institutional fragility. They're fragile. And the last one, debt and inflation. Uh, the national debt is getting absolutely gigantic. It's uh, Once you get past the millions into the billions and then you start to talk about the trillions, I, my brain doesn't even hold the kind of debt that my uh, kids and grandkids' generation is going to have to pay off. I can't even imagine how we're going to do that. Well, the only way to do that is to devalue the currency. And that's called inflation. And the job of the Fed, and you can look this up, you can see what the Fed does. The Fed basically creates inflation by printing money. And they can't do it too fast. Otherwise, the value of the dollar goes down so fast, people panic. So they, they have this slow burn of creating inflation. And what happens is your savings disappears. And if you're working for $12 an hour, Two years from now, $12 an hour won't buy you as much. Have you noticed how much more expensive it is to go out and eat right now? Have you noticed the prices of things just sort of uh, going up in lots of ways? And inflation is the way that the government deals with the debt. So we've got all those seven things. And just for fun, I thought I would add an eighth. Uh, retirement complexities. Retirement used to be simple. There was something called a vested retirement plan where you work for a company for decades and you retire and they promise to take care of you, basically. They, they pretty much take care of you till you die. Uh, that's really not the case. It's been replaced by 401ks, 403bs, and all this other stuff that we're sort of in charge of. And 
it's not nearly as secure as the old retirement packages. It, it really isn't. And so we have to think in terms of the fact that I'm a baby boomer and baby boomers retiring, half of them have no net worth. So unless you want to live on Social Security, what are you going to do for the next 20, 30 years when you retire? Uh, you've got to think in terms of having some kind of income stream. So we're going to have a lot of people who are so-called retired but are still working in some way just to continue to pay their bills, pay their rent, those things. So do you think the work has been disrupted? Do you even know anybody whose work hasn't been disrupted? I mean, I'm sitting here doing a film thing, which I knew nothing about. And everybody I know, their work has been disrupted. I'm looking out at the room here, and a lot of you have been, your jobs have been laid off. You've been laid off your jobs, and all these things have happened to you, and you have to rethink how you're going to make stuff work. So let's look at what the Bible says about work. Because things are so disrupted, it's a wonderful opportunity to rethink what we're doing. What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our work life? Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now we all know the Holy Spirit was present in the beginning with the creation. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. But do you realize that work was present in Genesis 1? God was working. God was working for six days, and he rested on the seventh day. There was a rhythm between work and rest, rest and work. And I heard a great saying once is that we should work from our rest, not rest from our work. We should work from that sense of peace, our rest in the Lord, and then we should take a Sabbath. And we really do need to take a Sabbath, and we'll be talking about that as we go along. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So God at work goes back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Work is a word that appears all the way through the Bible. And we separate in North America and Western Europe, we separate our spiritual life from our work life. We compartmentalize so much. And according to the Bible, everything we do, not everything we do, but a lot of the things we do are considered work whether you're paid or not. And we're going to talk about that today. And this is the revolutionary who changed everything. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, no, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. Martin Luther King was named after Martin Luther. 500 years ago, a German who led the Protestant Reformation. Everybody thinks, oh, Martin Luther, he created uh, the Protestant church and, and he rediscovered justification by grace through faith. Well, those are some things he did, but you know what he did that was really revolutionary? He created the modern world work-wise. Before Martin Luther, the word vocation was reserved for people who were monks, nuns, or priests. And you got a calling from God, and then you started wearing robes and hanging out with the people that to do that stuff, and you promised chastity, obedience, and poverty. And if you made those vows, you were one of the vocations. And in some denominations, they still talk about that being the vocations. Are you in the vocations? Martin Luther said, that's silly. Everybody has a vocation from God. And he literally said, he was a pretty earthy guy, the people that clean the toilets 
have just as important a vocation as the bishop. And it's just as much called by God. That was revolutionary. And guess what happened? In Europe, the monasteries emptied. And people entered the marketplace and started having families. Martin Luther was a priest. He married a nun. They had lots of kids and ate and drank a lot. But he just... And he says, God does not need your good works. All he needs is your faith. Think about that. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. And doing good works for our neighbor is basically the encapsulation of what work is. Work is for other people. Work is to benefit other people. Work is to serve other people. So Martin Luther basically changed the entire world. He created the modern world as we know it. And vocation is a Latin word, vocatio, which means to call, which begs the question, who's calling? Well, that's God. God is calling, and we respond. I've always been really uncomfortable with people talking about my call into the ministry. And here's why. Because I believe, like Martin Luther, that everybody has a calling. People look at me with those eyes with a little whisper, did you get the call? And I'm thinking, <laughs> everybody has a call. God doesn't put people in this world without giving them a call. <laughs> that's, why God, that's why he puts us here. We've all got a call. I was talking with Linda back here beforehand, and she just loved her calling at the dental office. And uh, we all have callings in different places. And living out that calling is, is the point of life. And so I just get really just agitated. Of course, God called me to teach Bible. But it's no bigger a call than someone called to drive buses in Los Angeles or somebody called to... There's a joke. that This guy saw these clouds in the sky and they formed a P and a C. And he thought, preach Christ. I shall go to the seminary. So he shows up at the seminary and he says, uh, I'd like to enroll here and become a pastor. And they said to him, well, how do you know you should be here? Well, I got the call. And it was PC for preach Christ. Well, the person who was in, in admissions was Pentecostal. So he said, well, I'm going to pray and see if I get a word of knowledge. So he prayed. And he got a word of knowledge. And the Lord said to him, you mistook the lettering. It was plant corn. This PC. And, and you're supposed to be a farmer. And so he missed his calling just because he assumed the call was something in ministry. And we all should be doing ministry, folks. And we all should be doing work. And we all should be in the marketplace. And we all should be forming families, whether or not they're our blood family or not. Family formation taking part in the workplace, helping the world go around. That's all a calling. And we're all a part of that calling. And here I'm going to narrow it down to give you the Bible's definition of work. This is in Matthew 12, 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Whoa, what does that say? That says that some commandments are more important than others, and some parts of the Bible are more important than others, and Jesus affirms that right here. The most important one, answered Jesus, he didn't say they're all just as important. No, he says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that is the most important phrase for Jewish people who, who are practicing Jews 
They all know it. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is a singularity. And that is, that's the core of the Torah. That's the core of the Old Testament. That's, that's the, the verse around which the entire Old Testament pivots. So Jesus affirms that. He goes right to the core. And then he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So are you ready for the Bible's definition of work? The Bible's definition of work is everything you do to fulfill this great commandment. Everything you do that results, every action you take or word you speak that results in loving God or loving your neighbor is work. Stuff you do that doesn't glorify God and doesn't help your neighbor, isn't work. Sitting on my Lazy Boy, eating donuts, watching some show about RV repair is not work. <laughs> it's not work. It's just not. Uh, because I'm not, I'm not benefiting a neighbor, and I'm not glorifying God. And I'm not saying everything we should do should be work. All I'm saying is, this is a great definition to look through your day and ask, how much of this is work? If it's not benefiting anyone, and if it's not glorifying God, it's not work. It's just goofing around, and we need to goof around some too. But rather than work being something we do so we get paid, it's like, what can I get out of work? I want to get fulfillment. I want to get paid. I want to... Nothing wrong with being fulfilled. Nothing wrong with being paid. But that's not the point of work. The point of work is loving our neighbor. And if we take an action which loves our neighbor, that counts as work according to the Bible. So... The Bible, work includes work that is both paid and unpaid. Paid work is not superior to unpaid work, although paid work is some ways nicer because you get money for it. But a lot of things we do, taking care of our neighbor's cat when they're on vacation, that's work. That's loving our neighbor, taking care of our neighbor. Paid and unpaid, skilled and unskilled are both work. Sacred and secular Setting up chairs at church is work. Counting numbers at the bank is work too. There is no divide between sacred and secular work. The divide is between work that loves our neighbor and work and action that doesn't. Do you understand the definition? So if we can look through our day and see what am I doing that glorifies God and shows love for my neighbor, that's work. And the more of that we do, the better. And the more of that we do, we're going to learn in future lessons here this next few weeks, the more fulfilled we get. Because true fulfillment is through serving others. It includes worship. The ancient word for worship is liturgia. What word do we get from that? Liturgy. Worshiping God is, is glorifying God. It is one of, it's part of our work. And in some churches, they bring the bread and the cup forward with the offering, and they put it on the they put it on the uh, the altar. This is the result of the work of our hands, and we we bring them to you, Lord, in worship. And it's just a wonderful symbol of of bread and the cup and the farming and the the cultivating that goes into that. It includes work number five: serving customers and meeting needs. It doesn't have to be charity. 
Making money serving needs is a great way to make the world go around. It's a great way to love your neighbor. If you can make a better mousetrap, uh, you're serving your neighbor. Whatever you need to do to move, help the world go around and give your neighbors an easier life and a better life and help them feel loved, that's work. Do you see where a lot of grandmas who don't have a paying job are doing great work out there, taking care of grandkids, doing stuff? Um, uh, they're doing very meaningful work because they're loving their neighbors. Genesis 2.15, told you work goes way back to the very beginning. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Our basic job is gardening. It's caring for the world. Caring for the world. It's not just... In, I've got some real enthusiastic gardeners over here. but uh, <laughs> Gardening in the broadest sense. If you're taking care of your home and making sure that there's nothing broken, nothing missing, that's gardening in the broadest sense. Uh, if you're taking care of your car, if you're, you're making sure that uh, your neighborhood looks good, if you're picking up garbage in your neighborhood so it looks better, that's loving your neighbor too. Gardening, however is not very sexy and doesn't happen really fast. Gardening takes cultivation. Gardening is not dramatic. Things take a long time to grow. And in America, Canada, Western Europe, we glorify work that makes big dividends real fast. And we're very impatient. We want to supersize our value meal right now. You know, I, I've been at Taco Bell where people start to take a coin and hit it on the counter saying they want their food right now. I'm thinking, this is Taco Bell. Relax. I mean, it's going to get here. <laughs> it just, we, 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 do you know that uh, they let you press those buttons over and over at the crosswalks and it doesn't do anything, but it makes people feel better? It's, it's, it's fascinating how, how in a hurry we are. How can we make the big money fast? This is why I don't like gambling. It's, it's not like I'm some kind of prude. But the idea that you just make it real fast, that's not cultivating. True wealth comes from cultivating things over time, putting your money to work for you, uh, being responsible with your money. And by the way, our partner church, uh, Charity Lutheran in Bismarck, we've become partners with them through Alpha. They're going to be offering a Financial Peace University class online starting in October. So if some of you have trouble with your finances, uh, we're going to be working together with Charity Lutheran to do that. John Zadorf, one of our friends that we met there, is going to be teaching that class. And so we're looking forward to that. That's, a, that's also a way of loving your neighbor, taking care of things, cultivating things, weeding. Weeding is not sexy, but weeding is important. Part of what we do. So some practicalities. One of the questions I get more than most any other question is, when are things going to get back to normal? They're not. This change, this change in work life and vocation was well underway before the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated it. Look forward, not back. Don't hang on to jobs that are disappearing like blacksmithing. I mean, it's there's certain jobs that just aren't going to be there. And you don't want to, to say, oh, I hope that comes back. I hope that comes back. Look forward to what God is bringing forth. The second one, stay flexible. You can't fight these big megatrends. You can't fight artificial intelligence and all the things that are coming. It's happening. We don't get to vote on megatrends. Megatrends have been happening since the dawn of time, and they continue to continue to change. Think of the electricity being used in this room that 150 years ago nobody ever heard of. 
And people just adapted. We got used to electricity. And we got used to broadcasting and cameras and all the things that come with it. Stay flexible. Don't fight the trends. Sort through how your activities align with the great commandment. Look at your, look at your day. How many of the things you're doing serve your neighbor or glorify God? That's your work quotient. That's your work quotient. Those are the things that, for instance, practicing, practicing a skill, that's work. You're not getting paid for practicing, but you're, you're working on a skill that you can share with others and glorify God with. It's a good idea to take an inventory of your work, of your day, to find out how much of it is work and how much of it isn't. Monitor your speech. Please don't ever ask anyone, does your wife work? Uh, it's just, it's, or, or, or asking older people, are, do you work or are you retired? And I'm thinking, I look at a bill right here. Bill works more than most people I know, and he's, he's 80. And uh, yeah, this, just don't do that. Watch your speech. Make sure that work includes a bigger thing than just getting a paycheck. Move away from dramatic and ecstatic work myths. The idea that work has to be dramatic for it to be valuable or ecstatic. I've got to be so thrilled I'm going to work. There's some times you're not going to be thrilled to go to work, but you'll be serving people. And in serving people, we get blessed. So we have to wait for the blessing to come back to us. Last one, magnify the spiritual side of your life. Grow the spiritual side of your life out of your just reading the Bible and praying and sharing your faith with people. Start thinking about your work life being spiritual. I'm not saying get so spiritual that it just overwhelms everything. I'm saying just include your Monday through Friday in your spiritual life. That's your liturgia. That's your liturgy. That's what you do, the work of the people. Liturgia means the work of the people. Magnify your spiritual side of your life. And for those of you who really aren't in touch with your spiritual life, we're starting an alpha course, coast to coast with our partners at Charity Lutheran in Bismarck and perhaps the Lutheran Church of the Redeemer in Chimicum, Washington, and also Bay Hills Church in the Bay Area with uh, Linda Van Oy, our sister in the faith. So we might have four churches coming together for that. The Alpha Course, we've had so much fun on that, and we'd love to have you come and just reignite your spiritual life so that that can reignite your work life. Just get in touch with me, hbhouse at gmail.com. Send me your name, and we'll put you on the course. Wednesday evenings. Next week, we're going to talk about the two North American myths about work that will mess you up. But almost everybody agrees with these myths, and they will cause depression and bitterness. And with most people, most people end up hating their work because of these myths. And we're going to talk about those. They're not biblical. So that's what we're going to do next time. But we're going to close with a prayer about the work of Christ. When I went to seminary, we had a class on Christology, which means the study of Jesus. And we studied the teaching, the life and person of Jesus, true God and true man, and also studied his work, the work of Christ. And the work of Christ he did on one during one week when he died for us and rose again. And one of the best ways we can ground our faith in the Bible is to ground our lives in Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to let Jesus invite you into his work, his death and resurrection. And if you can say yes to that, that's going to, that's going to help you 
build your house on the rock, which is Christ, as you look through your work life in the next few weeks and align them with the Lord. So if you'd like to pray to say yes to Jesus' invitation to take part in his work, his death and resurrection, I'd like you to pray with me. And I'm going to have my tiny group of tech people here um, answer back after each phrase. Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, you did a great work. You You died on the cross cross. for us us. because you loved us. us. It was an act of work, work. act of love for us, an act of of glorifying the Father. And you invite us into that work to die to our old selves, our old patterns of work, our selfishness in work, our lack of servant's heart. And we let that be crucified on the cross with you. And we say yes to your invitation to bring us out of the grave with you to new life and work not just on Sundays but all through the week looking for ways to glorify your Father and love our neighbor because you, Jesus, told us that's the main thing. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Over to you, Tamara. Thank you, House. Well, good morning, everybody. I don't have to have that awkward thing, so I'm just going right into announcements. We are looking at our September prayer focus. Um, It's for students and teachers. Uh, We need to pray for them. They are doing some new stuff with having to be at home and having to teach part-time in classes and sometimes going um, just Zoom from their from their home. I've got three teachers in my family, three nieces that are teachers, and they all have kids. So um, my one is a, teaches at OCC. All of her classes are on Zoom. And her kids go to a private school that just started this last week, and they're actually going to school. So that has been a big relief for her because she had three kids at home while teaching because OCC started. Yeah, they're great kids, but still you're trying to teach a class and you've got three kids. I have another niece that has three children as well, and they are all at home doing school and she is a special needs teacher. So she is teaching special needs kids plus trying to teach her kids or help her kids. And then my other niece has a two and a half year old who is teaching special needs kids from home. So it is, I know firsthand from watching them and hearing their stories, how difficult it is. And so we need to pray for our teachers. We need to pray for those kids and we need to pray for the parents that are at home trying to work and help their kids go to school. It is such a difficult situation. And we just need to pray that this COVID stuff just goes away. We've been praying that and praying that. And I think we just need to keep praying and we need to believe that God is going to heal and get rid of this so that we, not that we can go back to normal, but that we can go back to at least our kids going to school and people going into 
work and going into their workplaces um, and working because I know two of us have lost our jobs because of, well, one, me, I, I was furloughed and Kim just was laid off. So we would like to be able to go back to work and my business probably won't open until next year, but that's okay because God's got this. I know that. So pray, 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 people. Uh, pray for our, We also pray for our president and our governor and all those making decisions. We ask for prayers for the pastors here um, that uh, – the pastors get under spiritual attack a lot. And so we are asking for protection and safety from, from everything and for health uh, because the things that get attacked in us are health, um, whether it's pain or illness or whatever. So please pray for that. And then pray, continue to pray that God guides our trustees and our, and us, our pastors, as we navigate this new stuff. And so um, please pray for that as well. We are reading the Bible together, so please join us um, reading that every day. We did put that up on our Facebook pages and um, the group and the page. We also, House does a daily Bible video, so it's about four or five minutes long usually. So read your Bible first and then uh, see what House does to teach on that. Let's see what else. Alpha, you already heard about Alpha. It's starting in October. Contact House. Uh, teacher training on Sundays tonight at 4 p.m. It's uh, tonight's topic is avoiding culture wars when doing ministry. So there's a lot of cultures out there. We don't want to get into wars with it. And so House going to be teaching on how to navigate those waters. And I was in school of ministry where he taught a little bit on culture, and um, it's very interesting, and. Um, it's something you can put to use almost every day. So please tune in for that. If you want to um, tune in, don't have the Zoom link, contact house at hbhouse at gmail.com, and he will give you that Zoom link. We, by the grace of God, will be doing in-person gathering next Sunday at 10 o'clock right here in the chapel. So if you live local, we can't wait to see your smiling faces. So we are getting set up this week um, to welcome you back, making sure everything's super clean and that we will continue to have our physical distancing. We are asking you to wear masks. That is CDC guideline, um, Orange County guidelines, California guidelines. So we are asking that you wear a mask. Um, we will have hand sanitizers and all that stuff here for you. And we'll even have a few chairs set up so outside. So if you do not feel comfortable with sitting indoors, you can sit right outside our doors. You can still hear us and you can still be part of the community. So we cannot wait to see you next Sunday at 10 o'clock right here. And please come a little bit early because we do have to do the temperature checks and write down your name and all that stuff. Again, CDC guidelines. OC Prayer Walk will be happening this coming weekend, the 18th through the 20th. Basically, um, even if you don't live in the Orange in Orange County, if you live in another state, you can join us in doing this. Walk around your neighborhoods and pray as the Lord leads you. And then what we'd love you to do is to take pictures and post them on Facebook and Instagram with the hashtag PrayerWalkSoCal. And that way, um, all of us that are doing it can see each other's pictures and see um, what everyone's doing in Orange County. And really, no matter where you are, do it. Um, I think that if everybody was walking their neighborhoods this next weekend, God's going to do a big thing because 
Think about it. If everybody started walking the neighborhoods and praying for their streets, praying for their neighbors, praying for their communities, what is God going to do in that community? I think there would be huge changes. So please join us next weekend, the 18th through the 20th. Just take, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, walk around your street, pray for your neighborhood, pray for your neighbors, pray for your community. And fellowship night, we are, um, we had this planned before we knew that the church was open, but we still want to go forward with it. This is going to be an outside event. It's going to be um, Sunday, the 27th at 5 p.m. from 5 to 7. And it's going to be just a fellowship night, a time to come together and to laugh and to sing and to have fun. So we're going to have games. We're going to have some music. We are going to have, because I think Jessica, Jen, and Kim, are, are you all playing? I think. Lord willing, all three of them are going to be playing. Um, we're going to be having games. We're going to be having prayer. We're going to have a little message. But basically, it's really just being able to come together as a faith family and um, relaxing and having some fun. Um, Linda's doing hand motions in the back, which is cracking me up. But that is next. I haven't told them yet. Um, we are asking that you bring your own beach chair or chair of your liking. Um, and a picnic dinner. So because of CDC guidelines, we cannot provide food. So bring your picnic dinner with us, with you, and join us at five o'clock. We'll all have a meal together, per se. All of us having our own meal. We'll have games going and we'll have fellowship. And we're asking that you bring your own chair just so that the few of us that are here to prepare for you don't have to drag all of our chairs outside. So bring your beach chair and then come and join us on the 27th. We will still have service in the morning, so you could join us in the morning and in the evening. So that would be a lot of fun. Woo-woo. And then tithes and offerings. Thank you all for being so generous and so um, so wonderful and bringing in your tithes and offerings. Uh, please continue to do so. And uh, there are many ways you can donate. You can mail in a check to the Well at Surf City. You can go online to our um, our website, uh, the Well. You can or di- what is our website? Dive deep together. I don't know why I forgot about it. Dive deep together. You can go to our Faith Life app. You can go online to PayPal. So many different ways. The best way to look at all the different ways is going to tinyurl.com slash malachi310giving and that is going to give you all the different ways of um, being able to give. One last way of giving is the Patreon um, giving and that's a way of giving small amounts whenever you um, on a more consistent basis and you can do patreon.com slash worldwide well and um, that is just, like I said, another way if you can't do a full 10% and you just want to give maybe $5 or, you know, $10 a month, you can put that on a, um, a cycle that you can just donate every month. So numerous different ways to um, give. I think that's it for me. You guys have a wonderful week. We will be celebrating communion together next week. So whether you are here in person, we'll have the, the communion um, uh, elements for you. If you're at home, get them ready and you can join us in communion next week as well. So have a blessed week, everybody, and we will see you in person. Those that could be here and those online, we will see you next week as well. Bye.